to turn with us. We'll be in the book of Romans, chapter number 13. We'll read some verses here and try our best by the help of God to give you that that I feel like the Lord has put on our heart for the service this morning. I desire your prayers for us that God would help us. And I realize and understand that without Him I can't do anything and I need His help and I need His touch this morning and trust that the Lord will help us together. Romans chapter 13, when you found your place, if you're able and willing to do so, we'll stand together out of reverence and honor to the reading of the Word of God. Romans chapter 13, and uh, no doubt what I'll read is familiar scripture this morning. I'll begin reading in verse number 11 of Romans chapter 13. And that, knowing the time, that now it is high time to awake out of sleep, for now is our salvation nearer than when we believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Let us therefore cast off the works of darkness, let us put on the armor of light, let us walk honestly as in the day, not in rioting and drunkenness, not in chambering and wantonness, not in strife and envying, but put ye on the Lord Jesus Christ and make not provision for the flesh to fulfill the lust thereof. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. I thought about these verses as the Lord began to direct our heart and deal with us about these things here, and uh, I think, and of course we said many times in the scriptures that chapter and verse divisions were not in the original, and I, I believe that there's really no break in the thought process from chapter 12 to chapter number 13. In chapter number 12, the writer here, the Apostle Paul is dealing with us presenting our bodies a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God. And he deals with the fact that we are not to be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we may prove or show or demonstrate what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Then he's going to go on to name some things that should be proven or shown in the life of every believer. We studied this morning in the Sunday school hour about that love, the love that comes from God. That should be proven and shown in the life of every believer. Matter of fact, verse number 9 of chapter 12, he's going to deal with it again. He said, let love be without dissimulation and that word dissimulation means hypocrisy and so he's dealing with true love and another one of Paul's epistles he deals with unfeigned love of the brethren which is love without hypocrisy it is a sincere love that is unconditional that only can come from God now the reality is as was dealt with in the Sunday school hour this morning we live in the flesh sometimes the flesh is going to rise up 
and those things may not be demonstrated and proved as strongly in us as they should be but it will not take away the fact that these are the things that should be demonstrated in the life of every believer. He goes on to speak about abhorring that which is evil. That just means to hate it. Don't want nothing to do with it. It is still in the scripture to abstain from all appearance of evil. If it looks evil, then the people of God ought to stay away from it. We're not to be. It was here in the scripture. We are not to be conformed to this world. The word conform means to follow the pattern or to be molded or shaped by the ideals of this world. I'm afraid that in the church age that we're living in and in our church day today that the church is, has too much molded being done upon it by the world. There's too much of the world that's influencing the church and not enough of the church that is being an influence unto the world. And so these are the things that are to be demonstrated in us as the people of God. We're to be kindly affection one to another with brotherly love in honor, preferring one above our, uh, preferring one another, not ourselves. It's not about us. It's about Him and in being about Him, it will produce an affection and an honor among the believers in the family of God. We're to rejoice in hope. Thank God we have hope. That's why we can rejoice. And it should be present and prevalent in the life of every believer regardless. And we're going to get there, I think, this morning where my heart is. But regardless of the day we're living in, thank God we have hope that we can rejoice in. We don't have to, I really think what Paul's addressing here is believers should not walk around defeated all the time. Now I understand we're living in hard days. And I understand we're living in dark days. But I'm glad there's hope beyond this life. And the reason that many people are defeated is they lose sight of the hope we have beyond here. That this is not, one writer said, for the child of God, what we face here is as bad as it will ever be for us. But for those who are unsaved, this is as good as it'll ever be for them. Now we'll think about that just a minute. Sometimes we fail to see it that way. Sometimes we fail to see things in this life in light of eternity. That's what Paul is trying to get these Christians to see is for them to get up every morning and stand across the horizon and look at this day in light of eternity. And that's why we often look at everything in the here and the now. And that's why we get offended. That's why we get our feelings hurt. That's why we get envious over what other people have. But the reality is if they don't know God, what they have, their cars in the garage and the houses they live in and their money in the bank will be as good for them as it'll ever be. But you and I have an enduring substance on the other side. It doesn't, the things of this life, even the suffering that we go through, Paul said they're not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. And that we have an inheritance in heaven uncorruptible and it passeth not away. Thank God for that. One writer said the eternity for the believer and the eternity for the unsaved cannot even be compared together. 
He said, if I was to compare it, I would compare it like this. For the saved, it's a sunrise with no sunset. But for the unsaved, it's a sunset without ever seeing the sun rise again. And that is right. For the people of God, it'll be an endless bliss. We see, I'm sure it will be far better than this. And we ought to rejoice in that and meet every day with that light that this is as hard, as bad as it'll ever be for us. Thank God there's hope that we can rejoice in. Matter of fact, there'll be another scripture that Peter writes that says we're to rejoice in our tribulation. And the reason we can rejoice in it is that it worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. In other words, Peter said that when we look at what we're going through in this valley's deep and the valley's dark and the burden's heavy, but thank God there's hope beyond all this. And we can rejoice in that. Rejoicing in hope. Patient in tribulation. The word patient does not just mean what we think patient means. But patience is a, is a knowing trust. Is that we have committed ourselves to God. And whatever this trouble is, whatever this tribulation brings, we are committed, we are trusting fully. That's why the writer wrote, "Tis so sweet how to trust in Jesus. Because regardless of what this trouble brings, regardless of what we endure in this life, we have committed ourselves to one that we trust. That's what Job said. He said, I know the way he, that he knoweth the way I take, and when he's tried me, I'll come forth as gold. He said, I don't understand everything. Oh, his so-called friends tried to come, and he called them physicians of no, of no value, clouds without rain. He said, you're not doing anything, but he said, I've committed myself to the trust of one who can take care of me regardless of what comes my way. Thank God we have that this morning. That we can rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, continue an instant in prayer. Thank God we can go to Him. Whenever, I got a text this week. Matter of fact, it was Brother Tim. I don't care to tell it. Don't think he cares for me to tell it. And he texted me and he said, there's a problem, there's a situation going, I didn't know what it was. He said, I need you to pray now. Thank God we're not it. We, we get hung up. Now I want to preach right here just a minute. We get hung up in the fact of the days we're living in and I have a pity party and so do you sometimes. I'm not being mean. Uh, but we, we gripe and complain and grumble about the days we're living in. Thank God that when that text comes through I didn't have to get in my truck and drive to some synagogue somewhere or some tabernacle to find some man to go into God on my behalf. Uh, but I have access uh, based on what Christ did for me. Uh, not just for you and for the church. Thank God he did. But he gave me access. And he said, see if we have a high priest over the house of God which can be touched with the feelings of our infirmities. We can then come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Right then, whatever the need is, whenever the need arises, thank God we can be instant in prayer. I believe that's right. And I think what Paul is meaning here, best I can study the Scriptures, to continue instant in prayer is to live in such a way that when we need to pray, there's nothing cutting the line between us and God. 
That when a problem, an emergency comes, and somebody says, I need you to pray, that we don't have to take 15 minutes of getting the line connected back together, of getting our sin out of the way, and our discord out of the way, and our unforgiveness out of the way, but we got straight, direct access between us and God if we need Him. Thank God. Oh, yeah. I'm glad for that old song. I hear it in my mind a lot. I hear sister, I'm not talking about it a lot, but it's good. Them old writers knew what they was writing about. These new writers, I'm not so sure. They even know the God they're writing about. But them old writers did. And I can hear in my mind, Sister Lockie Coates, uh, ran back and singing, I uh, can call Jesus anytime. And you know what that writer said? It said, He is always on the line. Uh, when I can't get a prayer through, uh, the problem's not His end, it's my end. Uh, there's never a busy signal on his end. He never has got disconnected. He never has lost service. But I've been out in the world. There have been things in my life and my service has been affected. My signal's been affected. But thank God this morning I can call him anytime. Oh yeah. And that writer wanted to get his message across. And I'm, I like them old songs and we sing them here. And, and I'm not uh, saying just cause they're old, they're right. Uh, but I'm telling you, uh, uh, Preacher Mibbe said everything new's not true and everything true's not new. I think I'll just stick with the old stuff when they knew what they're talking about. And the writer wanted to get his best across, so he put them repeats in there. And he said, the, the, the lead singer say, I can call Jesus anytime. And the repeats say, call him anytime, call him anytime. He wants you to understand he is always accessible for the people of God. Thank God. I'm glad I can rejoice in that. I'm glad there's instant prayer, instant communication between the believer and God. Oh yeah. I'm glad for it. I hadn't even really studied on these verses to preach on. I'm just going to say this in the introduction. But it feels pretty good where I'm at this morning. I'm just going to try my best to follow God. I'm glad there's content that we can continue instant in prayer. That ought to be proof, that ought to be practiced, that ought to be demonstrated in the life of every believer. When there's a need, we ought to know who to go to and thank God we have access. We don't have to pay a toll. Thank God. We don't have to drop in a dime. I know that's far beyond our generation today. But it's already been paid. The bills already been paid. Thank God we're not going to get disconnected based on non-payment of service. It's already been taken care of. If we'll just stay in the shape where the line's not disconnected. Oh yeah. Thank God for it. Oh yeah. Continue an instant in prayer distributing the necessity of saints. Given to hospitality. There ought to be a love in us, a love so great that we'll do whatever we need to do, whatever we feel led of God to do to help our brothers. And a lot of times you preach on that and you read that verse and everybody tightens up and they go to reach for their bit, but there's more to it than just your money. We ought to be willing to give our prayers to the brethren. 
We ought to be willing to give our time for the brethren. We ought to be willing to lose some sleep for the brethren. And we ought to be willing to bear the burdens of the brethren. And it was said this morning, and it's so right, that it's an inconvenience to the flesh. But thank God there's benefits that come with being a part of the family of God. Bless them which persecute you. That's a hard one. Bless and curse not. Now he's not ta- that's not a separate thought. He's saying bless them and don't curse them that persecute you. And that is the example of our Lord. He said if any man smites you on one cheek turn and let him have the other. You say, but my flesh don't want to do that. That's exactly right. And that's why we must mortify the flesh. We must reckon him to be dead. And we must live the life by faith, even though we're still in the flesh, as Paul said. And we live it by the faith of the Son of God. That when he was reviled, the Scripture said he reviled not again. The Bible said that if we do this, that will heap coals of fire on their head, but you can take that the wrong way too. And that's in verse number 20. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirsts, give him drink, for in so doing thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Now, if you're doing it to heap coals of fire on his head, you're doing it for the wrong reason. And if you're doing it to heap coals of fire on his head, he'll never be affected by it. Ever. But if you do it, to follow the pattern because it's pleasing in the sight of God. If you do it because you're giving your body a living sacrifice that is holy and acceptable unto God. That's why the church has fell off the wagon in this day. We've tried to meet the standards of everybody else. It ain't about everybody else's standards. It's about His standards. And I'm a firm believer in preaching on standards, but you better do it in the right spirit and in the right heart. And your standards better not come from a man. They better come from God. And if you obey standards, you better obey them for God and not for man's sake. And I've said this more than once here in the past, but I feel so compelled to say it again. Anybody that lives their standards for the cause of man breeds to themselves bondage in the Christian experience. But if you'll live your life for God, hold your standards for God, because you know it's been convinced in you. That's what a conviction is. By the way, it's what God, through the Scriptures and the leadership of the Holy Ghost, through the preaching of the Word of God, has convinced you you is right and you do it to please God and in doing so it will bring liberty and freedom in the Christian life it's not a liberty to sin it's not a freedom to live how you want to but it's a liberty and an enjoyment and a freedom in knowing that whether anybody else is satisfied God is satisfied with you that's right I don't remember who, who it was that wrote the song or who it was I first heard sing it, but I know in the church that I grew up in, one of the quartets in the church, they always sang, I want my Lord to be satisfied with me. I want my life to be what He'd have it be. Then when I come to that great eternity, His smile will say, He's satisfied with me. See, the reality is we're all going to stand before God and give an account, not before the preacher, not before the Baptist, not before the brethren, not before our families, but before God. And if we'll do it to please God, then it'll be right and it'll be freedom and there'll be nothing to worry about when we stand before Him one day. 
So we better do our things for the right reason. Be of the same mind. Rejoice with them that do rejoice. Weep with them that weep. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide honest in the sight of all men, if it be possible. As much light within you, live peaceably with all men. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves. Rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. He'll take care of us. Don't you worry about it. Don't. There's no need. And it, it's amazing. The Lord knew what was going to be dealt with in Sunday school and what was going to be dealt with in the preaching hour. There ain't no sense in staying up all night worrying what they think of you. God will take care of it. If you know you're right, don't worry about it. If you know everything's okay with you and God, what does it really matter what everybody else thinks anyway? I know that's contrary to the flesh, but we're going to have to push the flesh aside and know that it's good. if God is satisfied, then we should be satisfied. He'll take care of it in the end anyway. And he said in verse 21, Be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And then he's going to continue the thought in chapter number 13 about being subject to higher powers. And he's going to go on and talk about our Christian life. And he gets down to verse number 11. This is where I thought I'd preach this morning. I may just say a few things and then I'll be done. But I appreciate the liberty this morning. What a feeling in my heart. He said, know in the time. Now the word know here means to pay attention to and to. Now I want you to hear me. It means to see what must be done. And Paul here is saying you better pay attention to the day you're living in. It was applicable and it was relevant in Romans 13, the day Paul penned it. And it's relevant to every child of God in May of 2023. We better pay attention and know what we must do in the day we're living in. He said when we know it, we will see that it is high time. That word high time means a definite time, a fixed time. It means that now is the time. It's not we're waiting a few days. It's not that we're waiting a few years. It's time now to awake out of sleep. And the church, the people of God need to wake up in this day. Now I don't mean that mean spirit or arrogant, but I know what the Bible said. It says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, we are all the children of light and the children of the day. We are not of the night nor the darkness. Therefore, because of this, let us not sleep as do others, but let us watch and be sober. The word watch means to be attentive. The word sober means to be alert or aware. It means the same thing as knowing that we know what must be done. And so many of the people of God are asleep. And that's not really what I want to preach on this morning about being asleep. But so many things have rocked the church and the people of God to sleep in our day. Worldliness has caused the people of God to fall asleep. It did it for Samson, and it'll do it for us. He laid his head in the lap of Delilah, in the lap of the world. She caused him to fall asleep, and he lost his power with God. Now don't confuse that. That's Old Testament. They were not indwelt by the Holy Ghost, but God manifested Himself and came upon them. I'm not preaching that you'll lose your salvation, but you can lose the sweetness, the joy, the contentment. David said, restore unto me the joy of thy... He didn't say restore my salvation. He said restore the joy I used to have. 
And Samson was so blind. I mean, we read the Scriptures and we think about how... I mean, I'll just be honest with you. What comes to my mind is how ignorant must he have been. Everything he had told her, she had already tried, but he was so asleep. When you're asleep, you're not aware. You're not conscious of what's going on around you. And that's what Paul is writing. Not talking about literally, physically, of being asleep, but the church has become unconscious, unaware of all that's going on around us and how it's affecting us. And she pushed him and pushed him and pushed him and he said, okay. He said, if you cut my hair. And the power was not in his hair. The power was in the vow that he had between him and God. If you have it this morning, the power, that manifested power, that working of God, he wasn't working to be saved. We can't even use that terminology, but the power came from his separation from the world. And if you want to lose the joy... If you want to lose the happiness, if you want to lose the rejoicing you can have in your hope, then lose your separation. And it'll affect you. And it'll cause you to go asleep and become unaware of what's going on around you. Weariness. These are just things God brought to my heart. And I'm trying to get through them and get to the end and I'll be done this morning. Weariness can cause you to fall asleep. It did for Eutychus. He sat in the window. Paul preached till midnight. And we, you know, we think that's kind of comical. And there have been comical uh, statements made about that. But Paul had a message to get across. But Eutychus got weary. And he fell down. He sunk down in the window. And then he fell out. All because, and I'm going to tell you, weariness will affect you. I want to tell you this morning, not just spiritual weariness, but physical weariness will affect you. I'll never forget Brother Andrew Tonkin. One of the, there are many things if, when you say his name that come to my mind. Experiences that I've had with him. Things I've heard him say. But one thing that will always come to my mind. And he is God's man. I have all confidence in him as such. He said, told me one day, he said, Brother Logan, you'll never convince me any otherwise about how closely linked our physical well-being is to our spiritual well-being. He said, I laid in the hospital, and he has several times. He said, I laid in the hospital with malaria for days. My body racked with pain and with a fever that they couldn't get to go away. And he said, the spiritual man was in such agony and warfare for no other reason that I can see except my physical man was suffering. And I'm going to tell you, when you get weary, it will cause your spiritual man to get weary too. And so when the Bible speaks about rest, we have lost that in our day. And I don't mean to get on the same horse. I felt like I was on it a little bit last Sunday, but I feel like I need to be on it again. The Lord's day should be a day of rest. Because your inner man needs it, and so does the outer man. And if the outer man doesn't get it, the inner man's going to be affected, and then we're going to lose some of these things, and our weirdness may cause us to fall asleep and become unaware of what's going on around us. And we're living in a day, I'm telling you, and I'm trying to get there if the Lord will let me this morning, we're living in a day where we can't afford to be unaware of what's going on around us. And weariness will cause you to fall asleep, cause you to become unconscious. Now I'm going to say something else. For the people of God, those of you that are saved, waywardness, you get out of the will of God, it'll cause you to become unaware of what's going on around you. It happened that way for the prodigal. Now, 
In the Scripture, it never does say anything about him being asleep, but it does say there was a day he came to himself. Which means that before that, he wasn't thinking clearly. He was unconscious of what he was doing, and he was unaware of what was going on around him. And if you get out of the will of God, it will affect how you see, and you will not see what you ought to see in these days. He said, but we know that it's high time to awake because we know what time we're in. We know the time. Now there are just a few things and I'll hit them quickly and we'll be done this morning. There are a few things I think we ought to know about the time we're in. Number one, I think we ought to know, according to the Scriptures, that we are in perilous times. 2 Timothy chapter 3 tells us that, that in the last days, perilous times shall come. I think we could say without disrespect to the Word of God that in our day, perilous times have come. And you've heard me say it over and over and over again, and I don't think it can be said enough because we have heard so much all our life. All I ever heard all my life is that just means they're dangerous. It means way, way more than dangerous. I think that's why the people of God are having such a struggle we don't understand what this perilous means. It means to drain the spirit from a man. It's why depression and discouragement is so prevalent because we're in perilous times. When we look around and Paul writes to Timothy about all the things that we're seeing every day, it doesn't take much common sense to understand we are living in the days of 2 Timothy chapter 3. When men are lovers of their own selves, when they are covetous, when they're boasters, when they're proud, when they're blasphemers, when they're unthankful, unholy, disobedient to parents, and the list goes, without natural affection, and the list goes, and that means more than just sodomy, by the way. Never seen a time when parents hate their children and children hate their parents, and that's unnatural. That is unnatural. God put it in a parent to love their children. But we're living in days, and it's apparent, and I'm not trying to preach on current events, but I'm going to tell you something. These modern agendas and woke agendas that they're pushing, they are a proof that there is unnatural affection and that parents hate their children. It is proof that we live in a day where people, where parents cease to see that children are a heritage from the Lord. That they are an inheritance. They are a priceless possession. And we're living in a day today that we have lost sense of a lot of things. But I'm telling you, and I'm not caught up so much in houses and land and all that and I understand. But I remember when my, when my great grandmother died and that was the first person close to me when I was of age that things really meant something. And they gave me some of her. You can't, there's no price to be put on that because it cannot be replaced. That's what God's saying about your children. They are precious beyond value. They cannot be replaced. But we don't, parents don't see that. And I'm not preaching at you this morning saying you don't, but the majority of the world, they don't see their children that way. They just see them as a burden. Many people today, and you say, preacher, you're preaching kind of right. I'm just preaching this morning about the time. We better know the time. Be aware of the time. A, majority, a great vast majority of parents in our day see their children as a paycheck. And that's true. And that's why they don't care about what happens to them. 
that don't care about guarding them from the world. I'm telling you something this morning. The world's wicked. And the world is after your children. And it is our responsibility, our God-given responsibility as parents to guard them from the world. You say, well, they'll criticize me. They probably will, but I'd a whole lot rather be criticized of them than suffer the consequences of not sheltering them from the world. And that word in our days become a dirty word. They say, well, you try to shelter, you better, you, you got it right, I'm trying to shelter my children. They don't need to be aware. They should never even come face to face with some of the things that are going on in our day. They should not understand some of the terms that are being used in everyday language. Shouldn't understand it. If it comes on on that black box, it's on the wall or on that table in the living room. If it even remotely hints at it, you better turn it off. Say, preacher, you preaching how we, that's, the, that's what this chapter's dealing with, how we live. Yes. Children's minds were never meant to try to grapple with and understand these things. And you better understand, I'm talking about knowing the time, that just because it's called Christian does not mean it has anything to do with God or right. I know that's right. I read an article this week, and I'm not much about preaching out of newspapers, but, but it's relevant here and God's telling me to. I read an article this week about one of the major Christian book distributors of our day and they have a new, and it's by no coincidence. We better wake, that's what the scriptures say, we better wake up and understand they're dealing with our children. They don't want you, they want your children. And all the arrows are targeted at the children and their new woke Christian. That's what they call it. A woke Christian uh, a section of literature and it's all geared toward children. And they got two bestsellers. One of them is, and I can't, I may not get the titles right, but you need to know. One of them is the, the boy with the big, big feelings and the other one is the girl with the big, big questions and they paint the parents out to be the enemies because the boy identifies as a girl and the girl identifies as a boy and the parents don't understand and the church don't understand and the preacher don't understand and so they promote doing whatever you feel like you want to do whether your parents, the preacher, or the church, or God understands. And they're selling that in the name of religion. And in the name of Christianity, but I'm telling you, I remember as a little boy growing up in the Christian school where I'm now the administrator, the former administrator of Brother Billy Mitchell. He was a big hero of mine and still is and he helped me in many ways. I'll never forget one thing he said, everything that glitters is not gold. You better be wired just because it wears a label. You better be wired. Because we're in perilous times. Not only we're in perilous times, we're in times, and this goes right along with it. And these are the things that God spoke to my heart. And I'm going to give them to you as He lets me, whether I need to give you all of them or not. I don't know. I'm just going to follow God. These are days of great pressure. If you look up that word pressure, it means an outside force that urges, binds, or compels. It is some force trying to get you to do something whether you want to do it or not. And we live in days of great pressure. And it always has been that the world and even religion has put pressure on the true church. 
on the people of God. It happened in the Old Testament. In Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's day, they put pressure on them to bow to man. And that same pressure is being put on the church today to bow to man. It was in Daniel's day. And when I said a minute ago, you better watch. If you read Daniel chapter 6, it almost looks like that it was the king who was putting the pressure on. But it wasn't the king. It was Daniel's colleagues. It was the presidents that served with Daniel. They're the ones who put the pressure on. The king stayed up all night. The king was displeased with himself when he was fooled or duped into signing this decree that nobody could ask anything of any king or God for 30 days. And he found out it was against Daniel and he didn't even know it. He tried to get Daniel out of it. But all them friends, so-called of Daniel's, put the pressure on him. I'm going to tell you we're living in that day today. They put the pressure on John the Baptist. Put him in prison, ultimately cost him his head. Put the pressure on others all down through time. The reality is, and I almost thought one time, and I preached maybe at the school Wednesday, and the Lord had been dealing with my heart, and I thought I might preach on can you handle the pressure, but the Lord spoke to my heart, the Holy Ghost did, and said it's not can you, you're going to handle the pressure, it's whether you handle it right or handle it wrong. And so it's how will you handle the pressure, not can you, how will you handle it. These last days, this time we're living in, are times of great pressure. We could say a lot, I could say a lot of things. We talk about how evil they are. We're living in, the Lord said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it also be in the days of the coming of the Son of Man. And if we're not there, we're fast on the way approaching the day of Noah in our day. He said, as it was in the days of Lot, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. They knew not. They didn't even give God a second thought. Knew not till the flood came. Took them all away. The language of that scripture, I used to preach that when the rain started falling, they started knocking on the boat. I don't think they even had opportunity according to that language. The Bible said that the fountains of the deep were broken up. The windows of heaven were opened. All the water above the earth, all the water under the earth, it all came on the earth at the same time. There was no ankle deep and then knee deep and swim. It took them all away. The Bible said they didn't even know it until they were gone. It was over. And that's the day we're living in today. No thought of tomorrow. No thought of God. Just an evil day. And I'm going to tell you these days are passing. The Lord got speaking in my heart last night. They're passing quickly. We better understand that. The time's going past. We're not in the past. We're not living. In, we're in today. Then the Lord told me this morning, and I'm done. He told me to tell you that these days are not just days of perilous times and pressure and pure evil and all of these things that seem so negative. But He told me to tell you that these days we're living in are still days of possibility. That if Noah could walk with God in his day, and that is in the Scripture specifically, and Noah walked with God. And the Lord said for me to tell you this morning, if Noah could walk with God in his, you and I can walk with God in ours. That regardless of how perilous our days are, regardless of how evil our days are, regardless of the agenda, regardless of the pressure, it hasn't changed God one bit. And if our fathers and grandfathers and those in days of old, if they could walk with God in their day, you and I can walk with God in ours.
If they could be a Christian, we can be a Christian. One old preacher said, and the statement's right, it gets a lot of attention. People don't know how to take it. Just because you're saved don't necessarily mean you live like a Christian. But it is here in this book that it is required of you. These are the evidences, the proofs that should be displayed in the life of every believer. Every believer. We should know the time and know that it's high time that we awake out of our sleep. And the last verse said, and to put on the Lord Jesus Christ for Him to be the display, the show, for Him to be what everybody sees and make no provision for the flesh. The flesh will make plenty of provisions for itself without us making any more for it. Lord, help us to know the time and to know it's high time. Lord, help us to do all these other things in chapter 12 to rejoice in hope. Thank God we have it. To continue instant in prayer. All these things, God help us in these days to be what we ought to be. Not to get discouraged by our day, but it ought to drive us to know that we can still have a relationship. There are possibilities. Our God's not changed. He's still the same. We're going to start meeting tomorrow night, Lord willing. I'd like to see true revival. And there's no need for us. Let's not go into tomorrow night thinking, well, it's the last days. I don't know. There's possibility for us to experience true revival. We've had some wonderful services and wonderful moves of God. And God can do it again. And I'm looking for Him to. And I'm asking Him to. And I'm wanting Him to. I don't want to let the days hinder me and get discouraged. I want to know the time. I want to wake out of my sleep. But I want to know that there's a possibility to walk with God in fellowship and communion and in power even in these days that we're living in. Father, I thank You, Lord, this morning for the privilege and the opportunity or to be able to have assembled in your house tonight with your people for this morning. Thank you, God, for your goodness. Thank you for liberty and preaching and helping our hearts this morning. What a blessing, Lord, it's been to experience you and feel you stirring. I pray, 